Hi everybody! This is a series about gender and sexuality in music education. Since our language surrounding these topics is ever-evolving, please note that terms used in this podcast may not match what is most current at the time of your listening. I also recognize that we may not all agree on how to handle these sensitive topics and situations, but I encourage you to listen with open minds and open hearts. Enjoy the show. everyone, this is Music Education, Genderally Speaking, and I'm your host, Stephanie Gregory. I can't believe I'm saying this, but today I bring you the final episode of the first season of our podcast. Thank you so much for listening and subscribing. Your support means so much. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and continue to check the website for updates about future podcast episodes. Today, I bring you a conversation with Melanie Stapleton, who is a choir director in the Houston Independent School District and the founder of the website, Blurring the Binary. Enjoy. To start us off, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself for our listeners. Sure. Uh, I'm Melanie Stapleton. I am a choir teacher in Houston ISD in Houston, Texas. I work at Marlin Performing and Visual Arts Middle School currently. Uh, I've been directing for about, I don't know, six years, I think now, uh, and living that life. Uh, I did my bachelor's of music ed at Louisiana State University, LSU National Champions. <laughs> yes. And then I did my, I just actually last month got my master's of music ed awarded by UNT. So that is done. Hallelujah. <laughs> yes. Congrats. So I wanted to talk to you today about your website, and it's called Blurring the Binary, and this was part of your master's project, right? Yeah, Uh, it started off as my capstone project, and really in its inception and its first form, I thought, you know, I just want to make a handbook for directors of how to work with trans students, because as a trans woman, like, I've learned very early on that nobody really knew what to do. And so it started off really simple and like, oh, I'm just going to do a handbook. And then like, as I thought about it, more and more stuff kept coming up. And then, and then the length of the handbook grew and grew and grew. And then it became to this like amalgamation of like, it's too long to be a journal article, but it's too short to be a book. And I, you know, and it wasn't even supposed to be like the length of a thesis, but here we are. So I remember talking with my professor and he said, Melanie, I'm just going to be real with you nobody's gonna read that (laughs) it's a handbook like how are you gonna distribute it and I was like you you're right (laughs) and so I ended up changing it and turning it into a website Um, and I ended up being very happy with that decision as soon as I thought about it because I realized very quickly that there's a dearth in information for standard quote-unquote K through 12 educators out there who might be looking for things or might be looking for resources of how to help trans kids or how to help themselves help trans kids and they just didn't know what was out there because it was behind research paywalls because you know the standard music educator doesn't have access to JSTOR they don't have access to EBSCOhost you know 
there's paywalls behind those things. And let's be for real, we all, you know, some of us will do the work and we'll pay for it. But the vast majority of us is going to be like, where can I do this for free? Where can I do this easy? I want to Google something and it to be the first thing I click on and boom. Absolutely. And so that's kind of why I decided to make it a website and make it a website that was free because that's so, I think, critically important for those educators that might be on the fence because they're not going to want to pay money. Absolutely. And so on the website, you take educators kind of through this journey you define as trans 101, and that's mm -hmm. the, the heading for the the section. And so I was wondering if you could walk us through some important first steps to take as a music educator who has a trans student that comes out to them. Sure. Uh, yeah, I think that's, it's really important. And I, I labeled it Trans 101 specifically because I wanted it to be very approachable for those directors who this is really new to them and they really just aren't comfortable. And in that same vein, when a student comes out to them as trans, it's like, I just know that some people would just, they've told me, they said, I have no idea what to do. And so I tried to put myself in that paradigm and in their perspective. And I thought, okay, if I were coming out to a teacher, which I've done many times in my life and professors as well, what is the, what would I want? What are, what are things that help me? And what are things that would show that this person is an ally? Now, granted, I probably, if I was coming out, I would have already felt safe enough by previous actions from that person um, that they might do that. Otherwise, it might just be like a cold, like, hey, this is who I am. Now you know me. And then there's like this expectation of what does this person want? So I think one of the very first things for a teacher to do is just to say thank you and say, you know, recognize that it's a big step for that trans person to say like, this is who I am and I'm sharing it with you and I'm sharing my identity. Because for some people, it's not a big deal. For me nowadays, I can just be like, yeah, I'm trans, you're, you know, cool. But middle school me, like, I couldn't tell myself that I was trans, you know, and in high school, same thing. And it took me until my junior year of college before I was able to, you know, really have the courage to email my professors blind and say, this is who I am. And that was after extensive like LGBTQ activism and work in the, in this, the group, you know? So um, that first step is just thanking them or maybe acknowledging their vulnerability at the very least. And then you can express your support and just be like, you know, I just thank you so much and I want you to know I'm here to support you. You know, how can I help? And that really kind of goes into that second step of like privately and respectfully getting some more information, getting a little bit of stuff that you can use and doing it, doing it in a way that's respectful, not just being like, educate me and tell me everything, but just maybe like, you know, what name do you want me to use? What pronouns would you like? And, and start on that step. And as you go through, I think it's important to also know that not every student is going to know things, right? And that's part of the reason why you can't expect them to educate you, because they might not know some of these answers. They might know that they're trans, but they might not even know what pronouns they want. So you can gain a little bit of information and ask, um, but just recognize that people are going to be a little bit different. Um, or that every situation is going to be different and contextual. And then it's time for you to take the step where you go away and you educate yourself because that kid might not know who they are and that's okay. But now 
okay, you have a trans student, how are you going to support them? What can you do? And I mean, shameless plug, my website, you know, the, there you go. That's an option for you to start educating yourself. And once you educate yourself, then you can have resources ready so that the kids that need those resources, you might be able to say, oh, well, here's like, there's this local support group or maybe, you know, something where like, oh, well, this, this website's really great because it has different options for you. Or you might be able to talk to people, um, and then as you go through, just talk with the student and start making a plan as to what works for them because it's different. It's contextual and, and every experience is different. And then at the, you know, once you work with that student, know that it's okay to make mistakes because if, <laughs> you know, I think a lot of people come to me and they're like, I'm just so scared of messing up. You know, I want to support my kids, but oh my gosh, what if I say the wrong name? What if I say it in class? You know, and they, they kind of spiral. And sometimes that fear of messing up makes things worse for the trans student or just doesn't work at all. And, you know, just if you make a mistake, it's really easy. You just say, oops, sorry, and, and move on. And then if you feel like it warrants some kind of extra discussion, you can talk with them. I think that's that's really helpful. I remember Sarah, you know, somebody who we both worked with, Sarah Bartolome, uh, who's been a mentor to me in eight billion different ways. Uh, she writes in one of our stories a moment where she messes up and we're in class and she misgenders me and I let it go the first time. And the second time she misgendered me, I just kind of quietly corrected her in front of the class. I was just like, she's he. And I said, she. And I, I remember reading her like her story in a little vignette from her where she says like shit and she freezes up and she's like, oh my gosh. And it led to a bunch of other questions. And so I think that if you can just like apologize quick and move on and know that it's okay to make mistakes and just let your student know that you're trying, that's going to be the best. Those are your best first steps. Absolutely. Um, so you're, you're talking about pronouns and about other, you know, language that has to do with, with subjects um, surrounding the LGBTQ community and gender inclusivity in music classrooms. And I say at the top of the podcast that language is ever evolving in our, in our mm. community. And, and so can you just expand upon why language is such an important step and maybe some key terms that you think music educators should know? when working with you know and that's actually one of the reasons that I like the fact that I was I did this as a website and not a handbook uh, because I remember I was talking with my advisor at the time Jamie and I said hey uh what about the fact that terms in the LGBTQ world change like on a dime <laughs> you know like it, it it evolves and like by the time that this like if I published it it might be outdated, you know, um, language does evolve. And especially in our community, it's very, very rapid. And I think that's just a testament to the community and our attempts to, to know each other better and to know ourselves better and to describe ourselves in more salient ways. Uh, and sometimes it gets a little confusing, <laughs> um, especially when we get into like the acronym alphabet, you know, <laughs> um, you know, but I think that 
some of these things that are really important to, to learn is, you know, first you can start off with the basics, right? Like LGBTQ, lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, and then queer questioning. Uh, starting there and knowing like the difference between gender identity and sexual orientation. Sexual orientation being who you like, who you love, who you're attracted to. Gender identity being who you are. And I actually quote research <laughs> all the time that I read from Jacobson and Joel, who took a look at sexual orientation and gender identity in one of uh, their studies. And basically, they wanted to determine if they were dependent on each other. Because we come, you know, what ends up happening is people always like to assume with trans people that they're gay, or like, they just have these instant assumptions about sexual orientation. So when I was like in middle school and high school and I said, oh, I'm trans. They said, oh, so you're gay, so you like men. And then it was like, well, no, but I'm a, I'm a woman, so like I'm straight, but I, I don't, you know? <laughs> and like, I had my own shutdown. And when I was doing my research, I learned that Jacobson and Joel stated that uh, they're not really interrelated. And the, the quote that they use is that sexual orientation, gender identity, if anything, are weakly correlated constructs. Um, and I'm going to have that quote, like just <laughs> always. So yeah, learning sexual orientation and gender identity is really big. Gender expression uh, being how you present your gender identity or how you express it. And, you know, I think there it can be dependent on your gender identity, but sometimes it just isn't. Like, I'm just going to express my gender and it's just going to be what it is. And gender expression can be like how you dress, how you act, how you talk, how you behave. Um, it, it can be all kinds of external representations of your gender. And that is usually tricky too, because sometimes people are like, oh, well, this person is wearing a skirt but they identify as a man and they're like question mark <laughs> so that gender that gender expression piece is is important because sometimes people just like to play with gender and express it in a different way and be fun and you know sometimes society is like no that's not cool and you're like yes it is <laughs> um, and i want to plug right now your website again because on your terms to know page you have this great um graphic that i've seen in in many sessions mm. about gender and sexuality the gender unicorn and so if anybody you know heard all of that information that you just said and is thinking i will never remember all of that it yeah. is all spelled out in that gender unicorn i love that yeah and it's totally fair sometimes i'm like how do i <laughs> remember that but you know the and it's funny the gender unicorn actually came there's been so many iterations of it and you know we use the gender unicorn now a lot in different courses and whatever but it started out as like the genderbred person and it was like a little cute gingerbread person and that and then it slowly as as our language shifted the graphic had to shift with it and so we went from the gingerbread person and i can't help but think of the gingerbread man from shrek right you know like not the gumdrop buttons <laughs> hit me <laughs> you know like that's what i think of okay. and now it goes to to the unicorn but you know there's really it's a really great visual and graphic for you to just like i don't get it and for those visual people who need an image it's right there and it's super clear and that's why i have it at the top of that page i believe mm -hmm. so you can have your sexual orientation gender identity and gender expression who you like who you are and how you express that gender identity externally or just how you express your gender at all um so those are some big ones 
now let's get into the trans stuff, all right? Uh, and this is where people start to zone out or get a little like confused because they've heard so many different trans words, right? Um, and I'm not talking about like transverse and geometry. I, no, I won't, I won't do that. Okay, I can't, I can't handle math. <laughs> um, RIP any future stats class I have to take. <laughs> but yeah, so when you have trans, you've probably heard iterations such as transvestite, you've probably heard transsexual and transgender, and maybe you've heard something else along the way. Um, and just like we've talked about language shifts and it changes over time. So transvestite and trans, well, first off, transvestite is pretty much completely gone and it's eradicated from our vocabulary. So if you hear that, like know that it's, it's old, it's passe, um, you know, it's just not cool. All right, uh, and basically that was referring to people who would cross-dress. That's, that's where that came from. And now we just use, usually use cross-dresser. <laughs> it's a little bit easier. But there's, and so like you hear that stigma from transvestite, and then you'll also hear that derogatory term tranny, which comes really more from transvestite than anything else. And a lot of times um, society depicts these portrayals of transvestites as like people, like just pretty much men wearing women's clothes that are just super masculine. And that's really part of the media thing. Um, and if you haven't seen, there's like a documentary out there that Laverne Cox has done um, that is just uh, called Disclosure. And it is, that's a whole other conversation, but highly recommend you go watch that. It's great. <laughs> it's, I, I cried. I like, I, it's like a lifelong dream to meet Laverne Cox for me. Um, okay. I had the option at one point with Sarah and um, it didn't happen. <laughs> like we were, because we had to go to drive to New Orleans and it was a whole thing, but yeah. Um, anyways, watch that. <laughs> but so that's, that's transvestite. And it's, it, it came a lot from portrayals from the media. Um, transsexual, we'll get to in a minute. I'm going to pass over that. So let's look at transgender, all right? And this is the big one that we all hear. We Transgender, now really commonly abbreviated trans. Um, and it's gone through its own iterations with an asterisk and without an asterisk. And we'll talk about that. But transgender, uh, the Latin root basically meaning across, basically means that your gender identity and your assigned sex at birth, so your how you were born right like you came out and the doctor said it's a boy or it's a girl or it's a me mario and <laughs> i'm sorry couldn't help it uh if when you have that uh that moment of it's like you're generated and you're assigned sex at birth right so transgenders where those don't line up for the vast majority of people they do and that means that they identify as cisgender that cis gender so, and that's commonly abbreviated cis, and cis comes from the Latin root meaning same. So basically, your cisgender is your assigned sex at birth and your gender identity line up. Transgender is that in some way, in some form, in somehow, they don't. And transgender functions as an umbrella term. Uh, and basically, that's, it's very all-encompassing. You know, if we look at, if we turn to sexuality for a minute, we can correlate it with queer. 
basically where queer became like a political reclamation where it started out as a derogatory slur and now a lot of people use it where in some way in some form in somehow your sexuality differs from the societal quote-unquote norm and i've seen that used to describe you know uh, heterosexual relationships that might be quote unquote different. Like I've met people who are interracial in an interracial relationship and identify as queer because it's different than the societal norm, which is still mind boggling to me, you know, but there's lots of different things that it could cover. Hence the term umbrella term. And so transgender functions that way as an umbrella term, basically in a way to be more inclusive and in a way to cover more people. And it derived, I think, from transsexual, which was used a lot in medical communities. And transsexual now has started to fall out of fashion, and it started to become kind of out of the lexicon. And the reason why is because transsexual typically refers to somebody who is medically transitioning. And you'll see let letters like MTF or FTM, standing for male to female or female to male, basically referencing the assigned sex at birth as the first letter. So this person was born male, and then they're transitioning to female. And for a long time, that's how I identified as MTF. And, you know, for me, because it's been part of my identity for so long, like, I, I have my own kind of, like, issues of, well, I mean, that's kind of what I did, <laughs> you know? But for other people, it's such a hyper focus on the medical aspects of being trans. And part of that has come from this like societal obsession of being obsessed with trans people's genitals. And it's like, eventually it's just like, society, can you back up? You're kind of creepy. Like, stop staring at me. Stop asking what's in my pants. Like, just let me watch Netflix. Okay. That's, that's really all I'm here for. Uh, but that's transsexual is where there's like some kind of medical, thing and you know and maybe some people didn't have the ability to medically transition uh but they're still referred there and honestly you still see it now i mean i had i was in a doctor's appointment um for a sprained ankle i think uh or something and um i went there and let them know and now like when i go to doctor's appointments they're always at they always ask me the standard female questions because my gender marker is female and so they're like when was your last period where when was your last menstrual cycle and i was like uh i don't have those because <laughs> i'm trans and then they're like okay and they did the x-ray and like they still covered my fake uterus <laughs> like because it doesn't exist they're like protecting in case there's a baby you know um but like when I got my sheets with all of the stuff on it, um, it, it said like uh, transsexualism in there and that it was like, it, and so it became like a diagnosis, you know, um, which is kind of crazy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So you have that, that, that's kind of why like you've got transsexual, it does exist, it is the thing, it's something that you might need to know. Um, that really could fall under the transgender umbrella, but transgender kind of encompasses so much more now. So beyond transsexual, you can look at maybe non-binary, which is probably the, that or gender non-conforming, you see that maybe GNC. And basically those are people who, in some way, in some form, don't identify on our traditional binary scale of male or female or masculine and feminine. Um, 
if you really want to get over reductive, you can think of gender as a line, like a zero to 10, right? For helpful to, to think visually for a minute and go masculine zero, feminine 10. And then, and you know, that's, like I said, super oversimplification. It doesn't really work because gender is so much more than that. But, you know, there's your disclaimer. Um, this is for those people who really need, like, yeah. So non-binary people could maybe identify as a five, like androgynous and, and just right in between. Or maybe they identify as off the line and they're somewhere else, you know, and that's okay. That's, that's just how it is. And so... I think that sometimes we get so stuck on that binary and, and so stuck of we're male or we're female or we're masculine or we're feminine and non-binary people are just somewhere else are just not at all. Um, so there's non-binary and then you can really like, there's other facets of it that you could include. Um, for example, there's intersex people and some intersex people identify in the trans world. They identify under the trans umbrella. Some don't. Again, that's totally fine. This umbrella term applies based on how people feel and if they identify with it. And that's totally cool. The word transgender means something entirely different to me than it might to somebody else because of my experiences and my situation. Uh, for intersex people, by the way, if you don't know intersex, that's like a replacement of the word hermaphrodite, which you've heard before, and probably, and that's basically where in some way, in some form, you're uh, assigned sex at birth was a little different, maybe of different biological sex characteristics. Um, it could include people with Klinefelter syndrome, where you have the chromosomes XXY, or Turner syndrome, which is like triple X chromosomes, um, not Vin Diesel chromosomes just so we're clear on that um, but you can have some sort of different kind of biological stuff going on and that could lead to some gender confusion or some gender identity issues um, we also hear stories about people who are intersex who have like parents have made the decision for them as to what gender they will be. And they find out later on and they, 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 they're heartbroken because they've experienced this gender issue that they didn't know. So some intersex people might identify with transgender. Some people don't. Um, and like I said, the list goes on and on, but the, the very crux of what you need is that transgender encompasses people who are they're assigned sex at birth, their gender identity is some way, in some form, different from the norm. Rant over. <laughs> so you mentioned before that you can see trans in different iterations and one includes an asterisk and one does not. Hmm. And can you talk a little bit more about that? Absolutely. So I, <laughs> I think I was an undergrad when the asterisk became a thing. Um, and I, at the time, I was very much like, this is stupid. It is very stupid because, and I know this is a, this, maybe this is super controversial and those five people that are gonna yell at me can yell at me, whatever. Um, so the, the asterisk came about um, for the abbreviation trans uh, and it was trans and then they would put an asterisk next to it. And the asterisk was to represent people that were like non-binary or didn't fit under that, under anything. 
But the problem with that is that it's so redundant because the word transgender, as we just spent, as I spent like 10 minutes just like going off about, is all about including people under the umbrella. And it's all about being like all inclusive and just in the sense of like, in some way, in some form, people are different. And so you're like, you're saying trans, which is you're different, you're, you know, it's, it's just redundant. And it was, there's just no need to it. And actually, um, I think it's like trans student educational resources. They have a, a website and they even, if you go like, I think it's tser.org slash asterisk, there's a website and they explain that <laughs> because now like people kind of got it. Society moves on, whatever. <laughs> but so yeah, that's the asterisk. If you're a teacher now, that's good to know because I've read different research in different areas, like, you know, in general education, in music mm -hmm. education, in gender studies, and it's different in every realm. So mm -hmm. you, you said they have now, it's, it's no longer needed? Yeah, I mean, the vast majority of the trans community, at least from what I've seen, and I'm going to go ahead and put my own asterisk here. I know, shocker, everyone. Uh, <laughs> I put my own asterisk in the sense that I have not read, like, a lot of research from Gen Ed and these other communities. But what I can say is, like, as a whole, from a lot of the trans people that I've talked to and from what I've done, and again, like, uh, a big thing, like, trans student educational resources, which is actually the graphic that has the gender unicorn. So if you need to, like, think that they're super awesome, there you go. Uh, they are the one, like, they have that same sort of thing of, like, okay, the asterisk is kind of redundant. We don't need it. We don't need to use it. And that's why, and they, and that's why they say we don't use it on any of our things. So the community has really moved away from the asterisk, and it's just kind of just been, okay, we're just trans or transgender, either one. Great. Thank you for that insight it's it that's that's good to know because i didn't know even as like writing it myself i was like uh, what do i do but that's mm -hmm. good to know. and i think like you see that a lot when you're looking at these different researches researchers and you're looking at different ways of writing trans or transgender i mean you and i talked before we started recording about somebody um that i'd heard about using trans and then parentheses gender and that was just very mind-boggling to me you know and and there's just different iterations and there's different things that people do and you know like okay that's fine but maybe make sure that if whatever you're using maybe bounce it off a trans person to make sure like it's kosher right absolutely well, I want to shift specifically to the choral classroom because that's where you are, that's where you're doing your work. Um, and so I'm wondering, what is some advice that you have for combating the inherent gender roles that present themselves in choral music education? We know that through, you know, uniforms and staging and seating arrangements, there's, there's just so much entrenched binary gender norms. And so I'm wondering if you could speak to that a little bit. Absolutely. Um, I think it's really interesting because first taking a step back and you're looking at music education as a whole, if you look at band and orchestra, these problems don't really exist, right? Because band and orchestra do something crazy, which is they talk about the instrument and they only focus really more on the instrument. And so they're like, okay, flutes are going here. They're not like boys are going here or men are going here. Um, or trumpets are going here and they're going to do it loudly because they're trumpets <laughs> or they're trumpet players. You know, choir has somehow had these norms instilled and maybe it's because 
that's just our, our instrument comes from our biology. And I think that they have become inherently tied in as we've gone through. Maybe it's partially in due, to, due to religion and, and being religious. And, you know, there's, there's all different kinds of things that you could go on to in different paths that I could go off on. Um, and I'd probably go on the shiniest path if I were being very obvious. But when we're looking at the choral classroom, one of the biggest things that you can do is look at your language that you're using. Um, and I just, you can just take a page out of the band and orchestra's books. I know that might be controversial to some of us who are like, but we're choir, like we're not band or orchestra. But it's really important that you just focus on, you can focus on just the instruments. So let's say you have a mixed choir, right? Um, and I say mixed, and when I'm referring to mixed now, um, you can like take that as an undercurrent connotation of mixed genders, um, boys and girls. I think about it now as mixed voices, but um, so you can look at soprano, alto, tenor, bass, right? Let's, let's say we have a mixed ensemble there of SATB. So instead of you know, sometimes we like to shorten our lingo in rehearsals to maybe be cooler or just to make things go faster. And so instead of saying sopranos, uh, sopranos and altos, we're like ladies or, you know, girls. But if you have soprano and altos, just use soprano and alto. You can always just use treble. Like that's another option if you want to go something short. Um, I'm from Texas, so I have the luxury of saying y'all or uh, our, our plural, all y'all. Um, that's, that's a very common Texan phrase here. Y'all typically means like three people, and then all y'all is like a group. So in case you ever come to Texas, you need a translation, boom, you, do, you got something unexpected from this podcast today. Perfect, good to know. Right. So I, I always like just y'all. Um, Dr. Hightower at UNT, he always likes to use friends. And I don't even think that's because of like being gender inclusive. I think that's just because Alan Hightower is one of the nicest men that is alive. And he's just like, hi friends. So I, I've actually started to use that in my choir now. And I think it adds such a positive feel to the re rehearsal. It's lovely. So first taking a look at that gender language. Oh, and then also for tenors and basses, lower voices maybe, higher voices. Um, that typically works well, or just sucking it up and saying tenors and basses. You know, you can find all kinds of different ways to make it work for you. So there's that. Um, you mentioned standing arrangements or seating arrangements. I think that's a really big thing. And it gets into <clears throat> another common thing, which is section placement. And so we're going to talk about a couple of different parts of not only just how do we stand our sections or how do we sit them and arrange them, but also where do we put our trans kids? Because everybody, that's like, I think out of everything that I, I give information about, that's the most concerning for people because it affects the choral sound. So um, when we're talking about sections, firstly, if you have, um, or, okay, I'm going to back up. I'm lying. Let's talk uniforms and then we'll talk sections because they apply and they, they matter. Uniforms. We like to go with tuxes and dresses. We like to go with, you know, a lot of times it's usually as simple as, oh, you got a dress or you got a choir tux. Cool. There you go. Um, very binary options. 
Um, I always like to have a third option available, which is my favorite thing ever. It's just formal concert black. You don't need to get any more specific than that. It's just saying, hey, you, you don't feel, you don't want to wear the dress. You don't want to wear a tux. Cool. We got formal concert black. And whatever that means to you, that works. Now, it doesn't mean, you know, for your middle school students, oh, you're going to wear tennis shoes because, A, they're going to do that anyways. But uh, they'll show up to the concert the day of with black sneakers or, you know, bright neon pink sneakers. And you're like, dude, you're on stage. No. Anyways, so I like to go black, concert, formal black. Uh, some people like to recommend coral robes. I advise against it. Um, simply because there's religious undertones there, specifically Christian religious undertones. And while there's nothing wrong with it, like when I went to church gigs and I worked those, I knew that that was the, an expectation. Um, if, you're having, if your choir is secular and it's not religiously affiliated, choral robes have a Christian connotation. And so that's going to make kids that are um, maybe not even just trans, but LGBTQ uh, or just different religions. You know, maybe they're Jewish, maybe they're Muslim, maybe they're something else. <clears throat> it could make them uncomfortable. So I highly recommend just scrapping that concert black. That's my favorite. That's my go-to. So when we're talking sections, uniforms will play into that a little bit when we're talking about standing arrangements and how we sing for performances. When you have a trans student and you know that you have a trans student, it's really important that you figure out where they're going to stand in a way that doesn't draw attention to them. So it's really sometimes as simple as standing in the mix of a section. Uh, I had a choir director at LSU who uh, my junior year when I wore a dress and it was like a big deal for me. I finally got to wear the coveted choir trash bag dress. Hallelujah. Uh, <laughs> It was like the winter concert and he had, he not only like, we, we did a processional of the sopranos and altos on one side of the auditorium and the tenors and basses on the other. Well, I sing bass and that's just how I roll. And I had to process in with the rest of the basses because we were singing. And then we got to the stage and we were singing in an SATB formation. <clears throat> and me being tall, like six foot, I don't get to stand on the front row. And nope, that's never been a thing for me. I'm always a back row kind of person. They're always like, move that tree. We got to see the other people. We got to see the foliage. All right. We don't need to see the trunk. We want to see the leaves. I get it. But I'm always on the back of the risers and it ends up being this uh, thing where we have sopranos, altos, tenors, and I'm at like the farthest end tip top back row corner of the bases. And not only the processional, but that standing arrangement outed me to the entire audience. And I, f I don't know if I've ever felt more uncomfortable singing a concert because I was so outed. And it was such a simple fix of just singing a stab formation. You know, don't stab anybody. Disclaimer again, we're not stabbing people on this podcast, as far as I know. I don't think this is how this podcast goes. Not my intention. Okay, great. <laughs> um, if you do, like, please consult an attorney. Um, so... 
you could just do that stab formation where you have soprano, tenor, alto, bass. And then where the altos meet the basses or the altos meet the tenors or whatever, you put the trans student right there. So it's a seamless divide. And then they're standing next to people. And there's, it, I mean, honestly, um, you can play with it to how you want. You don't have to necessarily do the stab formation. You can do, I don't know, the sob. I don't, you know, whatever you want to call it to where you have your, the sound that you want, but you can place your singers in a way that's suitable for them and it doesn't draw attention. And then they're instantly gonna be happier. They're instantly gonna feel better. So that's what you can do performance wise. Now vocally, this is the big one. This is what you've been waiting for. Do what's best for your singer. And what do I mean by that? I mean that we teach humans. We don't just teach instruments. And you have to be cognizant of that. Um, we obviously, there, we do have gendered connotations that go with the voices. You know, we're not gonna escape those. I just don't see it, I don't see it happening. Um, that's not ideal. So I know that a lot of time directors are like, but what about the physiological health of the student? That's the biggest thing. And I counter that with, well, what about the mental health of the student? <laughs> That's another thing. So going back to the very beginning of what I've talked about is that every situation is different and every situation is contextual. Every trans kid is different. There is no one size fits all answer. And it's so important that you know that because it's gonna differ from person to person what they're comfortable with and what they're wanting to do. If they are somebody who is comfortable singing, like I'm comfortable singing bass, I don't mind it at this point in my life, I'll sing it, um, maybe not in front of my students, that's a whole other conversation, but if I'm singing in, a, in an ensemble, I'll usually sing bass because that's where I like to sing. However, I, can, I shift my voice up and I talk higher uh, and I raise my larynx up so I can sing in a higher pitch. Is it like the quote unquote best thing for me? No. Do I make the most gorgeous alto sound in the world? No. Does it sound like a screeching raccoon in the middle of the night? Maybe sometimes, but for the most part it doesn't. And I've, I've gotten away in choir singing alto because I'm like, oh, here I am and now I'm singing alto because I'm, or like I'm at a convention and we're at a reading session and I'm sitting next to these old ladies and I'm like, oh, I don't want to sing bass because I'm feeling awkward. So alto it is. And then, you know, does it get too low for me and I bottom out? Yes. Then does it get too high for me and I top out? Yes. But you know what? I'm happy. <laughs> or like I'm at least more content. So some students, you can just have, let them, you know, talk with them and say, hey, let's, let's work together. Sometimes kids aren't going to be, you know, especially when we talk about adolescents, they're not going to necessarily be able to hit some of those ranges, right? So that might be a thing where you can have that discussion with the kid and say, hey, I know that you're, a, like, you are a soprano. You know, that's where your voice best falls. It's not realistic that you're gonna you're gonna sing bass. Like that your vocal folds just aren't long enough. They're not they're not gonna vibrate at that frequency. For tenors, you know maybe maybe you can have some sopranos that get down to that tenor range. Uh, it might get that husky like sound, but you can have an option where you just talk to the kid and say, hey, I really think your voice fits better here in sopranos, and you could. I mean, if you wanted to be really cool and sneaky, you could be like, oh, what about these boy sopranos? And then you could play that super cool clip of the miserere me deus of like the little church boy with the helium. And he's like soaring up to high heaven. And Whitney's like, whoa, you know? And if you impress Whitney, you've, you've, done, you've done a great job. Yes. 
Um, but yeah, so that's something that you can do. And, but it's also, it goes back to if you take out the gendered from the sections, if you don't say sopranos are the highest voices for girls, you just say sopranos is the highest voice and you treat it like that, that's going to make that kid feel so much better about being in the soprano section. And maybe they'll just be like, hell yeah, I'm a soprano. I'm a rocket. I would do it, but I can't sing that high because I'm a bass. So highly recommend use, use take out the gender language, treat the, the people like a human being and recognize that their mental health is important. And another piece to that, if you don't do that, they're going to leave your choir. Mm. Like, um, I had issues with the director that I, I talked about in terms of placement, in terms of other things. And we had a discussion at one point right before choir tour where he pulled me in his office and he said, I don't want you to, and this was a choir tour, by the way, that was going to my hometown, to my high school. And I was so excited about it. And he pulled me in and he said, I don't want you to really talk to people. I want you to fade into the background because people are gonna kind of find you disgusting. And he used that verbiage and that and, and that and it wasn't like he was saying he found me disgusting. I mean, he might as well have, honestly. Um, but he just wanted me to just like, you know, it was like it was it was really shitty. And it was this moment for me where I had a very clarifying thing of I don't want to sing in this dude's choir again. And and I have been in choir like I've been in choir the whole time I can remember, like before fifth grade, I was doing little church choir. And then in fifth grade, I did our fifth grade school choir, then middle school, I did choir, high school, I did choir, senior high, I did high school. And then undergrad, I was in the top choir for three years. And that was my final year where I was a choir member, because I, 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 I was like, no, the, this, this place is not safe for me. And I left. And so and that's somebody who like comes as like a, as a choir freak. My AOL screen name in middle school was choir freak 007. Okay. And it's yeah. only James Bond reference because my dad liked James Bond at the time. All right. Choir for like, literally I was a freak for choir. All right. And I still am, but it was just one of those things where it's like, I felt so uncomfortable from like some of these instances of like being misgendered or like when there was one time where he said men go to room 114 and sing and women stay in here and i would be like in a in a, a cute top my bra strap would be peeking out because that's the style and also i was lazy I, like i had capris and flats on you know like very clearly presenting a female very clearly living my life as a woman and then there was this moment where he's like, well, men go to 114, women stay here. And I had this like, where do I go? What do I do? Where, you know, and I knew like, I, I, my heart was like, I just need to stay. Like, but I also knew my brain was like, well, you're a base, so you need to go with the bases. But I was like, but I'm not a man. And there was like this whole internal conflict that triggered a lot of dysphoria for me. And it, it was really just not good. And so I think that it's so important for you to remember that you need to treat your people and like human beings and be respectful of them or recognize that you're going to lose ensemble members. And I mean, maybe you're okay with having an ensemble that discriminates or like is just an unsafe place for trans people. But like, I would hope that you wouldn't be because like we're people. And I think that everybody deserves a chance to sing in a choir because it's super cool. And again, I'm a freak for choir. 
in reading your website, this whole, you know, safety and like the home atmosphere of choir is very present. Um, and I think anybody who's reading about your introduction and who you are will, can, can get that. But I want to just quote something that you said at the end of the introduction page, the story behind the site, because I think it encapsulates everything that you're saying. It's, you say, I hope this, you know, the resource, I hope this can, can bridge the gap between music educators and transgender students so that the music ensemble can still exist as a place where trans students can learn, develop a passion for music, and ultimately call home. And I think those three things put together is such a powerful image of what our classrooms are supposed to be. Mm -hmm. and, and so I just had to say that out loud because it's such a, a beautiful quote and I'm just so thankful that we have, you know, as somebody who is a cis person in the choral world to have this resource is so invaluable. And um, I wanna be respectful of your time. I think we, we could go on into, you know, privacy, bathrooms, rooming, but it's all on your website. So I'm just going to direct listeners to the website for those things. But before we end, who else or, it, it, you know, anybody that you know who's doing great work in research or implementation of gender inclusive, gender expansive music education frameworks that you've seen? Yeah, um, there's, you know, what's interesting is there's not that much going on right now. There are people out there, like my mentor, and really our <laughs> mentor, um, Dr. Sarah Bartolome at Northwestern, she's always doing something, and we've cooked up some different stuff about trans things um, that eventually will finish research, but, you know, we'll get there. My Actually, my former voice professor at LSU, uh, Dr. Lorraine Sims, she's done a lot of really wonderful work in vocal pedagogy, um, and she can she has a great resource out there that I reference a lot on my website called Teaching Lucas. And it's about Lucas's journey. He's a friend of mine who goes from being a soprano and then he takes testosterone. And it's like the effects of hormones on him and dropping his voice and, and bringing his voice down to a tenor range. And so she really goes into, she's a vocal scientist and she's a total voice nerd. Um, and she will, she literally talks about like vocal fold lengths and oscillations and pitches and all the, the fun little vocal science stuff. So highly recommend you can check out her. Um, and then there's just more resources coming out recently. I know that Josh Palkey and Matthew Garrett, I've been working with them, or I, I interviewed with them for a book that's going to be published by Routledge eventually, um, honoring trans and gender expansive youth in music education. So you can check that out whenever it, it is eventually published. It's currently being, you know, edited and whatnot. Um, so those are some people that you can definitely look and find those resources and, and, and check out that's beyond me because, you know, I'm one voice out there, um, but there are definitely other people. And you can also look at like composers. Uh, and when you're talking about, even maybe you're listening to this and you're like, I'm not gonna do research. I ain't got time for that. I'm a choir director in COVID-19. We, nope. Um, that's, that's a whole other conversation. But you can also look at compositions from trans people. One of my, a, a good friend of mine, Mari Valverde, she is a wonderful um, Latina trans composer. And 
I plug her work all the time because it's gorgeous and there's so many really cool things there. Um, and I start to include a, a list of trans composers um, like Kate Nishimura is on there. There's a few others. Um, I'm, I need to develop that list more. I haven't really looked at this since I published it because I just needed a break <laughs> after looking at it for so many, so long. It's due for an update, but yeah. So, so that, those are a few of those people that you can reach out to for sure. Great. And where can we find you and your work? Oh, uh, primarily my website, blurringthebinary.com. That's the best way to, to check that out. Um, there's a contact us form there. So if you want to shoot me an email, you want to get in contact with me, you're more than welcome to do it that way. I, there's things coming eventually, but you know, right now it's all about learning how to teach virtually in COVID-19 and that's pretty much my time. <laughs> that's where it goes. And you said you're, you're presenting at ACDA this year. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I, uh, recently my, my intercession was accepted to be presented at the national ACDA conference, which was going to be in Dallas, my hometown. And I was super excited about it, but COVID and now it's virtual. So I'll probably be doing my presentation in pajamas. Um, it's just gonna be like a cool pajama party. Actually, I'm pretty sure I think I have to wear professional clothes. Don't <laughs> you know? It's it's nice. Only to dream. on the top. Yeah, only on top. Like you know, business up top, party down below. It's like a weird mullet. So yeah, that's. Uh, you can also check me out there, uh, and then I'm also available for like professional development things. Um, I've recently like. I don't even know. I just did a, a session at Bunker Hill Community College. I presented at their uh, equity conference and it was like a, our equity virtual institute. And it was really cool. They, they hired me to come in and, and speak about trans stuff. And it wasn't even specific to Coral. It was just like how to help trans kids on, on, in the, that college atmosphere. And so I gave a, a presentation called Disrupting False Narratives about trans people. And we talked about some of those false narratives that we see in society about trans people and, and just making the educational environment safe. So I do that. I, I work with choirs. Um, and I also do these kind of professional developments where I work and, and do like help fine arts teachers understand how to support trans people and even just general educators as well. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time and, and talking about, you know, these subjects and about your resources that you've built for the rest of the choral world. So thank you so much for doing that work and for taking the time. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Music Education, Generally Speaking, is produced by me, Stephanie Gregory, with music by the Nishone Holloway Band. For more information about the podcast and our guests, visit stephaniegregory.com and click on the Music Education, Genderally Speaking podcast icon, or find us on Instagram at Meg's Podcast. We hope you'll continue these important conversations within your own communities. Be well. Tonight I'll close my eyes and I'll view all the out from inside. Won't judge, rehearse, or divide. I'll relax to detach and decide to try.